This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes! Carlson, världens Welcome everybody Carlson. to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky, and with me is the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Yes, Elon. Hey, how's it going? Hi, everybody. Hope everyone's had a good week in their fantasy hockey matchups. We're excited to be back for another week of the latest fantasy hockey news and analysis. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't had a good week because I asked for one thing last week, and that was to maybe have a week of no injuries so we could talk about something else, and instead, like, major stars are gone for lengthy periods of time. It's even worse than last week, Brian. I just don't think it's ever going to end. Man, so sad. Okay, well, we're going to get to all of it. We're going to talk about all the injuries, look for some silver linings and some upsides and moves you can make to take advantage. But first, let's mention that the place to learn about all of these injuries first is at dailyfaceoff.com. And not only do you learn about the injuries there in their fantasy news section, but you check out the line combinations and who's the new goalies. And you could check also for starting goalies. Who knows who's going to be the starting goalie for the Rangers today? Is it going to be Cam Talbot or is it going to be Mackenzie Skapsky? Only one place to find out, dailyfaceoff.com. Billing Daily Faceoff is the place to find out injuries first is obviously accurate, but kind of morbid. It's like saying the newspaper is where you can find out who died on the obituaries page. Uh, well, you need to know about injuries before everyone else in your pool, because maybe you could pull the move that one of our patrons did and trade Evander Kane for Palat in a non-keeper league. Yeah, that was pretty sneaky. Veto-worthy? Uh, I hate vetoes, but obviously I would veto a trade where one guy gets Palat for free because Kane is injured. And we'll talk about Kane's injury in a little bit, but let's go to the first headline. I've also already alluded to it, but Henrik Lundqvist is injured for, it's looking like a month. And he got injured, like he got hit in the neck with a puck, and then he played, he won that game, then he played another game and won that game. And now all of a sudden they say he's out. So bad luck, bad news for Lundqvist owners, but... Good news for anyone who's picked up Cam Talbot. Brian, like, I assume that that's a sure ad since the Rangers are a good team. Talbot, I assume, is going to get the majority of the starts in Lungfist's absence. Is that a must-add for people listening where Talbot's still available? For sure. If you need a goalie to make your playoff push or get into playoff positioning, we can both definitely recommend Cam Talbot, especially if you're a Lungfist owner. You better hurry to add him, as Elon and I both did But if you look at his stats lately, three of Talbot's last five starts have actually not been good enough to be rated as a quality start by Rob Volman's metric. So that means that they were starts in which Talbot posted a save percentage below the league average. And in one of the two starts that were quality, he stopped just 18 out of 20 shots for a 900 save percentage, which still gives him the quality start rating because he faced 20 or fewer shots and picked up the win. So that one could have easily tipped either way. But I don't think we should get too caught up in his last five games. He's just stepping in in relief for Henrik Lundqvist. And of all the backup goalies this year in the NHL, who've played somewhere between 10 and 20 games this year, Talbot ranks second in save percentage with a mark of 920. And I should point out that I'm excluding Michael Hutchinson from that, who's played a few more games in 20. And I don't know if I'd still call him a backup goalie at this point. But back to Talbot, going back to last season, he boasts one of the better even strength save percentage marks amongst all goalies. But of course, he has a smaller sample size. All this to say, if you can grab Cam Talbot, you can probably feel comfortable owning him from here on out. 
Just don't get lulled into a false sense of security from the goalie starts he's providing you because it's likely that those are probably going to dry up come playoff time. Although the Rangers do have two back-to-backs in standard league playoff week, so he might get a couple games in, but he will not be the starter. So don't think that you've patched up your goalie situation for the rest of the year by adding him. But in the short term, you can feel good about having him on your roster. Okay, so let's say you're a Lungfist owner, or hey, if you're not a Lungfist owner, either way, you're looking at your pool, you have an open goalie slot for whatever reason, and you could add one guy and both Cam Talbot and Andre Vasilevsky are available. That's my question to you, Brian. I want to know who you would take, because we mentioned Vasilevsky a couple weeks ago when he got called up by the Lightning, and we said, yeah, it looks pretty good. He'll probably get some starts. I didn't call him up to sit on the bench. But in this past week, he had his first start against Dallas, got the win, let in three goals on 36 shots. I assume that counts as a quality start. It does, it does. And then yesterday, Ben Bishop had a crappy game against LA and got pulled, and then Vasilevsky came in and only let in one goal on 20 shots. So all of a sudden, it's looking like Vasilevsky is definitely making a good pitch to get as much time as he can in the Tampa Bay net. So let's say if you had to pick a goalie right now, Brian, would you pick up Vasilevsky or Talbot? If I'm looking for somebody to step in as a number one or number two goalie on my team, I'm going Talbot because I need the starts. But if I'm looking for a number three or like I have a really strong number one and a number two isn't that important in my league, I would go Vasilevsky. I think over the rest of the year, or I should clarify, once Lungfist comes back and the rest of the year after that, I think he'll probably have equal opportunities, if not more, than Ken Talbot. And we've talked about him on the show for like, you know, the last three months, extolling his virtues and how he's had a pretty good year so far in the AHL. He had good numbers in the KHL before that, for what that's worth, and just how much of a blue chip prospect he is. And with Ben Bishop struggling the way he has this season, if it wasn't for Tampa's offense, Ben Bishop would be looking a lot worse than he already is with a 9-12 save percentage. He's managed to get 26 wins despite that. But if we were to divide the NHL season so far into four months, he would have finished with an above average save percentage just once in those four months. So I'm not so high on him and maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning are starting to wonder if they need to find out what they have in Vasilevsky sooner rather than later. I think the assumption was that Bishop plays out his contract at the end of next year and then they consider from there whether Vasilevsky is going to be ready or not to take over number one or if he needs more time in the backup role but things are sort of trending right now very heavily towards Vasilevsky and of course we're looking at a small sample size for both goalies, although Bishop's great season is sort of a small sample size in and of itself. I'm really looking closely at monitoring the situation. In a keeper league, I would definitely take Vasilevsky, but Cam Talbot, one of these days, is going to get a shot to be the Rangers starter, probably in the next, like, three years or so. So it depends on how patient you want to be. Yeah, so some interesting choices in the backup goalie market right now. And of course, not to bury the lead, if you have Henrik Lundqvist, obviously you can't replace him. He's one of the top goalies in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers would have won their game against Nashville yesterday if Lundqvist was in the nets. I guess let's stick with the Lightning for a second. I'm going to get back to injuries, but it reminded me, talking about the Lightning, that we got a tweet earlier this week from at Tootselic who mentioned that Hedman was off the top power play. And then when I had checked, he was also off the second power play. There was a couple of games where Hedman wasn't on any power play. It looks like since then, he's been brought back onto the power play in the last game he played on the second unit. And Daily Faceoff has him listed on the first unit again. But it's interesting, you look at Hedman's stats, he scored a goal in each of his last two games. But before that, he was in quite a slump. And I know throughout the season, we've been sort of updating our defense rankings, our elite defense rankings, and who we want to include and who we don't want to include. Brian, have you had any changes in your thoughts of where Hedman ranks after kind of a disappointing start to 2015? No, no, I have not wavered. And a lot of people, rightfully so. I mean, he's had terrible slumps, and we've detailed them on the show, especially since coming back from injury. But I I don't think the Lightning have to look anywhere else, nor do they want to look anywhere else for production. They have Strawman and Garrison, who you'd think might be the guys who could step in, but Strawman is not known for his offense, and Garrison is no longer expected to match his 16-goal output that he was able to produce back in 2011-12 with Florida, although he did follow that up the next season with eight goals in a lockout-shortened season with Vancouver. But he's got 20 points in 49 games so far. I'd say he is the next best offensive option on the Tampa Blue Line, but he does not come close to what Hedman could potentially offer. 
aside from maybe the two or three game stretches here and there that we've been seeing recently, I don't think Hedman is going to disappear for any consistent or elongated period of time from that top power play unit in Tampa. All right, and I'm going to just continue this digression because really, who wants to get back to injuries? It's so depressing. So we're still on Tampa. I wanted to also ask you quickly about this Cedric Paquette. He kind of exploded with a four-game goal streak last week, including a hat-trick against Detroit. Since then, he's had two pointless games. Brian, is Cedric Paquette the real deal and someone that people should be rushing to grab? Or did he just have a nice run and now he'll go back to obscurity? Well, the start of this explosion was on January 27th, and that was his first goal in two months. His last goal came November 15th at the tail end of the last explosion where he forced our hands and elicited a reaction from us because he did have five goals in a five-game span earlier in November. Since then, he's been putting on either zero, one, or two shots on goal a game, He had five in his three-goal game, so obviously that's a good sign. But over the year, he's shooting at a 16.4% success rate. He only has 69 career shots, so it's really hard to say if he is going to turn out to be like a really high-efficiency shooter like, say, Alex Tongue, although that's the extreme example. But again, I can call back to my chat with Kyle a few months ago uh, when we talked about the Lightning, and he just said Paquette. He was going to have this little burst and then sort of fade away again, and I expect that to happen again this time. Yeah, also the thing with Paquette that would concern me the most, he's not really getting much ice time. In yesterday's game against LA, he only played 12 minutes and 43 seconds, so not a situation where he can be expected to score a lot. And like you say, Brian, if he's only going to take one or two shots a game, and right now he's got 68 shots in 44 games, so not even two a game, you can't expect too many goals. And this high shooting percentage clearly is luck, and If anyone picked him up and got that hat trick out of him, that's pretty impressive. But definitely now it's time to send him back to the free agency list. Well, I guess we need to get back to the injuries now. And here's another big one. We actually broke the news at the end of the episode last week when we found out that Kevin Shattenkirk had been injured in his game against Washington. But we didn't know to what extent. Now we do know the extent. He had abdominal surgery and is out week to week. This is a crushing blow. Shattenkirk has been one of the top fantasy defensemen in the whole league this season. 40 points in 49 games. That's an insane pace for a defenseman and a really big blow to Shattenkirk owners, which I know, Brian, you are one of. So sorry to hear it, especially for you. But of course, this does open up a spot on the top power play and just also in the regular defenseman rotation on a very offensively powered St. Louis Blues team. So someone must be getting a golden opportunity here. And I'll get to that person, but being one of Shattenkirk's fantasy owners, I would like to just emphasize how huge a loss this is. We talked about, you know, around the mid-season mark this year, that he was going to probably regress because of his insane power play production to date. And so I was already bracing myself for some loss in his production, but this is like, this is too much. So he's been a huge reason for my team's offensive success so far, and I'm hoping he can make it back in time for the playoffs. In terms of how this affects the Blues' blue line, Chris Butler appears to be the beneficiary at even strength. He's stepped into Shattenkirk's spot on the second pairing alongside Carl Gunnarsson. Butler has managed two assists and six shots with the increased ice time over his last three games, but he is not likely to be a super relevant guy to you. He's a bottom four player with just six points on the season and a career high of 21. He's bounced between Buffalo, Calgary, and is in his first season now with St. Louis. On the power play, though, it might finally be Alex Petrangelo's time to shine on the first unit. We've touted him all year as being somebody who's faced a lot of very difficult minutes, not getting exactly the same opportunities that he's seen in the past to produce. And so maybe this is his chance, although he has struggled to produce with the extra men this year on the second unit in St. Louis. Petrangelo has actually seen roughly equal time on the power play so far this year as he did last season, but he's producing at nearly half the rate of points per 60 minutes with the man advantage that he managed to put up last year. He's dropped from around the top 20 in power play scoring efficiency to nearly 70th so far this season. We'll see if some time on the top unit can help correct some of that. The other player to talk about here is Jay Bomeister, and I'm pretty bearish on him seeing any more success than he already has this season, just eight points on the year so far. He is coming off that surprising 37-point year, so nothing is out of the question, 
but I'm not about to put too many eggs in Bowmeister's basket. In that case, Brian, let me actually throw one more name at you. Looking at Daily Faceoff, I see Ian Cole on the top power play with Berglund, Bacchus, Oshie, and Steen. And then Bowmeister and Pietrangelo are on the second unit with Schwartz, Stastny, and Tarasenko. I guess it's hard to say which is the first and which is the second unit. But is there any value in Ian Cole? Who is that guy? Ian Cole is a guy who has five points in 44 games this year, so even fewer than Chris Butler. He has two power play points over the course of his 157-game career. I don't think he's going to get too many prime opportunities. He's never been a high scorer. This is actually going to be his first full season played in the NHL. He's played parts of the last four, but he's already approaching his career high in games played. I wouldn't count on a whole lot from him, even though he was a first-round pick, 18th overall by the Blues in 2007. All right, well, worth a shot. But yeah, just more salt to put in the wounds for those Shattenkirk owners. There's not even a good new St. Louis defenseman to take, because probably the beneficiary is Pietrangelo, or maybe Bo Meester, and those guys are probably taken. Next injury... This one is a wacky one. We were talking about it a lot on the Facebook group this week, and of course it was all over Twitter. This Evander Kane news, we have to get to it. I know we talk about the Jets a lot, but we can't not talk about how Evander Kane dressed inappropriately and then got scratched, or at least that was one of the ideas thrown out there for why he had been scratched, and there was something about how Dustin Bufflin threw his clothes in the shower. Obviously, we're not that kind of podcast to get into the gossip, but some weird stuff went on. Then it came out that... He might need season-ending surgery, and then he had the surgery, and now he's out for the season, just like that. Evander Kane got scratched and then is out for the season. So that is horrible news if you're a Kane owner. I remember when I saw that he was scratched, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is good, because maybe this is a sign that he's going to get traded, not be on the third line anymore. But it was the exact opposite news, where he's gone, he's done. He was on the third line in Winnipeg, though, so that doesn't leave much room for someone else to take advantage. If anything, this seems like bad news potentially for Bufflin owners because Bufflin went to play as a forward in his absence. And we know from earlier in the season that Bufflin is a lot less productive as a forward than as a defenseman. Ugh, Brian, make sense of this mess for me, please. We've gotten so many questions since this happened about should I drop Evander Kane? So let's just answer them in like one sweeping answer right now. If you're in a one-year league, let him go. If you're in a keeper league, well, hang on for a minute and listen to the following, because a lot has been written about Evander Kane since news of his healthy scratch broke, but two of the better articles I saw from Scott Cullen and Mike Colligan, they actually looked at his on-ice performance, which is what we're going to focus on. You can forget about all that other stuff. It's not going to show up in your fantasy categories. It probably won't show up in his stat lines in the NHL. So what we do know about what he does when he's on the ice, here's the gist. He is an elite shot taker. He's ranked third in the entire NHL since 2012 amongst regular forwards in shots per 60 minutes, meaning he generates the third most shots in the league relative to the ice time he gets. He's behind only Rick Nash and Max Pacioretty in that spin, and he's ahead of guys who you'd think of as elite shot takers like Alex Ovechkin, Patrick Hornquist, James Neal, Tyler Sagan, and so on. Now, why that hasn't translated into a string of 30-goal seasons can be explained by one lockout shortened year when he was on pace to do it, and then a lower shooting percentage over the last two years. He's had a hard time finishing over the course of his last 100 games, which is shockingly when public opinion of him began to sour. What's lost in all this is that this season, Evander Kane has been making all these things happen from the third line in Winnipeg, which is not like the third line in Long Island or Chicago. He's rode shotgun to a journeyman, Matt Halishuk, and a rookie, Adam Lowry, neither of whom have any kind of scoring pedigree. So you can drop Kane in one year, but in a deeper keeper league, where there's a case for him to be kept, think twice before you ditch him. And if you don't have him at this point, this could be a very good chance for you to buy low, assuming that you won't be able to just redraft him for free when that time comes around next year. We have long been proponents of Evander Kane on the show, and we have certainly taken our lumps this season and last, but I still believe. Well, I guess a lot of it will also depend on what happens to him in terms of if he's even on the Jets or another team, because apparently the Jets will be shopping him, or at least that's the news at the trade deadline. 
But okay, good to know. Still valuing Evander Kane, according to Brian, for next season when he comes back from this injury. And Brian, what about this news about Dustin Bufflin? Do you know anything about if he's going to stay as forward or go back to D? And assuming either of those cases, how does that affect his value? And maybe if he stays at forward, should people be trying to sell high right now? Well, the first game with Kane out, he played as a forward. The next game, he played a bit of both. The Jets have called up a forward from their AHL affiliate, so hopefully Bufflin's going to play defense because if he plays forward, yes, his value does take a hit. Elon, you and I went through that for the first like month or however long it was of the season. It felt like forever. He is an average forward at best, but he is an elite defenseman. It makes no sense to play him at forward, and I hope that the Jets realize that when they were forced to move him back to defense with that rash of injuries they had on the blue line. I don't have any inside information to know exactly how he's going to be deployed for the rest of the year, but calling up a forward from the minors appears to signal that perhaps he will get to continue playing on the blue line if he does play as a forward for any extended amount of time, or if you see something over the next week that says he's going to be there for the rest of the season, absolutely, then I would try and sell high on him because he is not as valuable a player that way. So why don't you sell high on his value today? But I don't think it's going to come down to that. Okay, we can hope. Man, it's been so many weeks of being so happy about what's going on in Winnipeg, I guess aside from that Matthew Perot injury, but now it's... A bit of turmoil, but hopefully things will settle and they'll still do well. They still have these really good top two lines. More injuries, more injuries. Okay, let's go quickly to Ottawa. It looks like this one's almost over, but Craig Anderson was injured and this was a great opportunity for the Sens to see how Robin Leonard would fare as, you know, I think the plan is for him to be their future starter. And Brian, it didn't go so well for him, did it? Yeah, Leonard's had a terrible year. He plays for a not very good team. So he's just got a record of 7-11-2 with a goals against average over three and a 9.04 save percentage. Neither of those numbers are all that acceptable. But if you look at him in the context of backups using the same sort of parameters we did for Talbot earlier in the show, he ranks a surprisingly high 14th in save percentage out of 22 total goalies who have played a backup role this season. Although that's still not great, and there has been a fairly large amount of backup goalie failure around the league this season. Think Edmonton, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Tampa, Long Island... And all of those rough situations pushed him up to 14th, and that's as high on the list as he deserves to be. He's just coming off a run in which he failed to stop 90% or more of the shots he faced in six of seven starts. He had a good one last night against Columbus. I still have hopes for him long term, but this year I think he's just showing us how great Craig Anderson really has been in the Ottawa net. They'll welcome him back. His fantasy owners will welcome him back. As for Leonard... Even if Anderson spends more time out, it comes down to, does anybody want a struggling backup goalie on a bottom five team? Probably not. So yeah, and like I said, Anderson should be coming back soon, which is good news for the Sens, I guess, since Leonard really hasn't been able to hold a candle to his stats, and it's a shame because the Sens are going to have to figure something out in nets. But yeah, definitely it seems like you should be leaving Leonard on the free agent list. Brian, you want to talk about Taylor Hall? He's been in and out of the lineup. He came back for a game after his foot injury and then re-injured the foot, which is, of course, bad news. He had an assist in that game when he got re-injured. At first, when Hall was injured, it was Benoit Pouliot who got onto the top line. But now he's injured as well, and it's Teddy Purcell on the top line in Edmonton. Is it worth grabbing Teddy Purcell right now, Brian? I mean, he is now on the top power play with Nugent Hopkins, Everly, Schultz, and Anton Lander. And he's on the top line with RNH and Jordan Everly. So good line mates. Horrible team. Haven't talked about Teddy Purcell for a few years. Whoa, Teddy Purcell. I was not expecting that. So I'm going to try and work my way through this as best I can. The Edmonton Oilers still aren't scoring a lot of goals. So a depth scorer like Teddy Purcell doesn't have much of a hope to produce a lot himself when his whole team has scored two or fewer goals six times in their last 10 games played. I suppose this top power play spot is a little bit of a silver lining, and he is maybe a half a point per game guy when given the opportunity, although if your league counts plus minus, you will be in big trouble with him this year. He is a minus 22 in 53 games, although he has already put out seven power play points to date, two goals and five assists to contribute to his total of 22 points. His five shots last night against Toronto were a season second best behind a night when he had seven. He had five one other time so far this 
season. But it's weird. You take away those three games, and he's really just averaging about a shot a game this season. Usually you could have expected about two from him when he was playing with Tampa. This year, not so much. So I guess, Elon, that's a really good eye on a really deep pickup in a really deep league. But I don't think he merits a ton of consideration in most leagues right now. And okay, this is just like a mirror of last week. We should maybe rename this show from Keeping Carlson to Everybody's Injured. But I'm going to just sort of mention Tyson Berry is out right now for Colorado. It's not looking long term, though. But, you know, we already talked about last week how Eric Johnson is out. So you're looking at really deep defenseman ads over in Colorado if you wanted to make one. Alec Martinez got injured yesterday on LA. That's something to watch for. But the last one I want to ask you about, Brian, is Colin Wilson. And this is a huge blow to him. He was having a career year over on Nashville. He was injured in his most recent game. I guess we still don't know how long he'll be out, but I'm curious to hear your analysis. I guess this is a good time to just appreciate Wilson again because he's still doing really well this year. He'd been running the top 10 in the league in even strength scoring this year. And he's actually third overall with 27 even strength points since November 1st. In case you were wondering, the top point getter at even strength since then is Patrick Kane. So let's give him some due for that. But Wilson's rise in production can probably be attributed to a few things on the team level. He's helped himself too, however. In 50 games this season, Wilson has registered 112 shots on goal which equals his 82 game total from last year. He's been a high percentage shooter for the bulk of his career, so that extra shot generation is actually very helpful for him and a big reason why he's seeing success this year. Of course, an 11% on-ice shooting percentage has helped as well. We don't know the severity of his injury yet, but if he's out for a few games or more, maybe we'll get to see what Callie Yarncroft can do on the second line beside Mike Fisher and James Neal. Yarncroft has been seeing third line minutes all year, say between 10 and 14 a night, and has just five goals and nine assists for 14 points in 48 games played so far on the season. But his point generation per 60 minutes is much closer to the low end of the top six predator forwards, so like Craig Smith and Mike Fisher, than to the likes of Yarncroft's fellow bottom sixers like Gabriel Bork, Taylor Beck, Paul Gostad, Mike Cullen, and so on. We all got really excited last year by Cal Yarncroft's 9 points in 12 games that he put up last year after coming to Nashville from Detroit in a trade for David Legwand around the trade deadline. He still has that offensive pedigree, and it's very unfortunate if Wilson does miss time, but it will give us a chance, perhaps, to see what Yarncroft can do with top 6 minutes. Man, we're really mentioning a lot of deep names in this episode. Callie Yarncroft, Chris Butler, Teddy Purcell. Obviously, these would all be short-term ads while these injuries clear up. But who knows? Maybe one of them will hit. But okay, let's get away from talking about injuries. Let's talk about people who have hit lately. I want to talk about some people who have changed their position on their team and have seen some success lately. And let's start with David DeHarnay on Montreal. And we actually got a tweet from at Shane C. Thompson mentioning that DeHarnay might be someone we could add to our list of second half performers, people who do better in the second half than the first half of the season. And he's had a really good opportunity to do that again this season since he's been moved up to the top line playing with Max Pacioretty and Dale Weiss, of all people, which I guess means I also would be curious to hear your thoughts on Dale Weiss because I wasn't expecting him to be there on the top line in Montreal. DeHarnay is also centering the second power play unit, and he's riding a three-game point streak right now. He has one goal and five assists in his last three games, three assists yesterday against New Jersey in Montreal's big blowout win over New Jersey. By the way, anyone who started Keith Kincaid had a really bad night. That might not have been the smartest decision. But okay, Brian, do you think David DeHarnay is worth an ad In some leagues, he's only owned in 10% of ESPN leagues. I'm assuming it's pretty similar in Yahoo. DeHarnay is owned in 11% of Yahoo leagues, which means he is available to roughly 89% of you. So should you pick him up because he's a second-half performer? Well, Shane was on to something a little bit. He is about a .6 points per game player before the All-Star break and about a .67 points per game after the All-Star break over the course of his career. I'm not sure that that is a hugely significant difference, but it is an uptick in any sense, whether it has anything to do with timing or just coincidence. We're not terribly certain. DeHarnay is stepping into a first-line spot that is great because of Match Pacioretty, but is not so great because of Dale Weiss. Thomas Placanitz was able to manage 
1.6 points per 60 minutes at even strength while playing on the first line before DeHarnay took his spot and who, by the way, has had a pretty good season so far this year. And if you look at this new tool that's available to us called Own the Puck, Dot blogspot.ca created by a fellow on Twitter who goes by the handle Mimico Hero. You can see visually how DeHarnay might translate as a first liner, mostly in two ways. And one way is in his possession. He manages to do very well in terms of usage adjusted Corsi. And the other way is in terms of assists. And being set up with Max Pacioretty is a great way to continue collecting assists. The one area that's always been weak in his game and has always been a mark against him in fantasy hockey is he just does not put a lot of shots on net. This season, he has 56 shots on goal in 50 games. Last season, he had 96 shots on goal in 79 games. And it continues like that, actually. He has 375 shots on goal in 308 career games, which is terribly low. So if he doesn't produce, he's not going to be that helpful. And he is the sort of guy who tends to go pointless for two or three games and then puts up one or two and then goes pointless again. And during those games where he's putting up zeros, you usually want to have somebody who can do something in another category for you. David DeHarnay is not really that guy. So you can add him. He might see a few more assists. He might see a slight uptick in points. He has six points in his last three games, had a three-assist game against New Jersey. Elon, as you mentioned, that offensive outburst from Montreal. But I think like 11% owned is about right for him. You can try him out. You can take him for a spin if there's some dead weight on your roster, someone who's underperforming. But as somebody who has done it in the past... I wouldn't rush to go grab him. He will help you for short stretches at a time, but for any consistent production, you might want to keep looking elsewhere and make sure there aren't any better options in your league. All right, so let me throw a potential better option at you. Another center that's available in our league, and I think we're going to decide between the two of them, is DeHarnay and Alex Barkov in Florida. Who would you want between the two of them? I'd want Barkov, and for all the same reasons that we talked about last week. I won't rehash them all, but he does have two goals in three games on six shots since we talked about him last week, and I see him being able to continue a reasonably productive pace. Again, he has 17 points in 39 games played on the season, but a lot of those have come on lately as his shooting percentages start to treat him a little more fairly. Okay, then I guess another option that will be available to a lot of our listeners is another guy who's moved up to his team's top line, Anders Lee, on the Islanders. And we talked about just last week or the week before how Mikhail Grabowski was going to take Kyle Okposo's spot. That did not last. Anders Lee stepped in, scored two goals in his first game there, hasn't done much since. What do you think the value is of Anders Lee? We've talked about him a couple times throughout the season as a depth player who takes some good amount of shots and might be worth adding. But now that he's on the top line... That must mean that his value increases, right? I would also try out Anders Lee before David DeHarnay because Elon, like you said, his ice time was not so great. Now it's getting a bump and he was producing well in the limited ice time he's seeing. I also have a soft spot for him because he is a fantastic driver of play. He has great possession numbers. I know you added him though. Are you starting to get a little impatient? Just two points in his last six games and both of them goals. Well, yeah, I added him when Evander Kane went down, and my league is pretty deep. The other option was Mark Shifley, so I do have my finger on the trigger if Lee continues to do nothing, though I feel like I want to hold on to him as long as he's on that top line. He's also on the top power play right now, so I feel like I can wait it out as long as he's in that position, but of course I would have to reassess if he got moved off of playing with John Tavares. All right, on to the next guy who's moved to his team's top line. And hey, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, we had to talk about a bunch of injuries, but here's a bunch of silver linings, a bunch of players you might be able to pick up from free agency that could maybe make up a little bit from these injured players. But okay, let's go to Boston. Riley Smith has been moved to the top line to play with David Krejci and Milan Lucic. Also, it looks like he's on the first power play unit, according to Daily Faceoff. And he's been really hot lately. One goal and five assists in his last six games, so a point-per-game pace in this short time that he's been on the top line. Again, not a highly-owned player, around 20% in both ESPN and Yahoo. Brian, didn't you have him on your team? Yes, Elon, I had him on my team, and you caught me at a bad time because I was also, after last night's box scores, ruining the day that I dropped Thomas Tatar, although I think I did it for Matthew Perot, so it's kind of okay. But anyway, I'm, I'm sort of sensitive to this sort of thing. So I'm going to tell you that Riley Smith, yes, he has six points in his last five games on the top line, but before that, he went pointless in five. Huh? 
but now he's on the top line. Okay, yeah, you're right. No, he's been really good since December. Like, he started off the season poorly, 10 points over his first 24 games, but then turned it on and now has 17 points in his last 27 games, which are not world's beater numbers, but they are probably enough to help you in your hockey pool. I honestly, Elon, I still don't know if I would have room for him in my lineup with just this little spurt, but if he can continue producing reasonably consistently for the rest of the season, I will regret having dropped him. I think he was picked up by like somebody ahead of me in the standings too, so I don't feel great about it. But I am still proud that we did sort of trumpet him right at the beginning of this run of production. Not this most recent one, but before this one. And I hope he has a good rest of season, just so, you know, we can kind of pat ourselves on the back. Right. Well, it seems like his fortunes may be tied to where he slots in in the lineup. And as long as he's on the top line and top power play, I would want to have him on my team. And of course, this means that if you're still hanging on to David Pasternak and it's only a one-year league, it's definitely time to let go there. He's down to the third line. He's not getting the big minutes that he was getting when he first came up. So we were hoping for big things from Pasternak, but we said on the podcast... Don't hold on to him any longer once he's moved off that top line. He is no longer on the top line. Riley Smith is your guy now if you still have David Pasternak and you want a top line Bruin. Elon, that's a very good point. Pasternak has not done a whole lot lately, putting up just 11 shots over his last eight games played. He has an assist in that span. Probably not worth hanging on to in your lineup, but he still is an exciting player to keep in mind for the future. All right, and one more of these guys with improved line situations... I feel like we need to go back to Pittsburgh. The injuries have finally waned. Crosby's back, Malkin's back, Hornquist's back. So now we can take a look at what they're doing with their top six. And as we mentioned before, you know, there's five people that were for sure going to be there. Perron, Hornquist, Crosby, Malkin, Kunitz. And then there was that sixth spot. Who's going to play with Malkin? It's been lately Mark Arcobello. And he's someone who we said you should probably write off because he was on the third line, not getting any time. But now it's probably worth mentioning he's playing with Malkin, so he's definitely not worthless, though he hasn't done too much with it. He had an assist against Edmonton, and then no points against Calgary, no points against Vancouver, though no one got any points against Vancouver yesterday for Pittsburgh. That was a disaster for them. Brian, Mark Arcobello, worth an ad? Worth a look? Worth a watch list? With a watch list, I mean, we've seen so many people, again, cycle in and out of those spots next to either Crosby or Malkin. So I don't know if this one's going to last. I think the person that Pittsburgh should be putting up there is Bo Bennett. And if you follow Ryan Wilson on Twitter, you will find evidence daily. I'm going to recommend you follow him for Pittsburgh News. I've really enjoyed what he writes over at HockeyBuzz.com. Also, uh, you can follow him at Gunner Stahl. But essentially, Bo Bennett is the ideal candidate to get top six minutes, somebody who might be able to take advantage of them. However, for some reason, he does not receive them. Instead, Mark Arcobello is getting them. And yeah, sure, anybody can produce next to Malkin, except maybe Brandon Sutter. Maybe that was an unfair dig. But the point being that anybody playing with him is worth adding to your watch list. But if you're looking longer term, you want to keep Bo Bennett on your watch list as well and just hope for the day that perhaps the Penguins let him play in the top six. Although acquiring Maxime Lapierre does not make me think that the Penguins are going to make fantastic player personnel decisions necessarily over the rest of the season. Okay, so there's our roundup of players that you might want to look at because of their new line situations. We still have some players of note to get to, but before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to the patrons of Keeping Carlson. Thank you so much for all of your support throughout the season. The season is winding down, and it's, I think, a very successful season of Keeping Carlson, and a lot in part due to the patrons. We're having a lot of fun over on that Facebook group. It's really gotten hot lately. I guess as more patrons join, we get more people and more discussion going on. We've also been having some fun DraftKings competitions against each other, so that's another thing that we might be developing as part of uh, being a patron of Keeping Carlson. You could defeat me daily in DraftKings. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We'd love to have you aboard. And I want to throw a quick thank you over to Joe Michael and Jeff Newsom for signing up last week. They have moved on to our first line. <laughs> okay, so before we wrap up the show, like I said, we still have a few more players we want to talk about that we didn't have a specific category to shove them in. So let's just call them players of note. Let's start with Ricard Raquel, who actually I could have mentioned in the line combo section because he has been playing on the top line with Anaheim, along with Corey Perry and Renee Bork 
since Getzlaff has been injured. That's a short-term injury, by the way. I think he was also even playing up there when Getzlaff was there. He's actually got 11 points in his last 11 games, which is pretty wild. That kind of hits me out of nowhere. I didn't realize he was doing so well. There was a couple of times when I saw him on the score sheet and I took a look to see if he was worth mentioning or, or looking at for one of my leagues and saw, oh, he wasn't getting much ice time, so he's probably not worth it. But the production speaks for itself. Brian, is Ricard Raquel someone that people should be looking at? Yeah, four goals, and that actually all started with a four-point outburst versus Winnipeg, which was a fantastic game for him. Two goals, two assists. He was the 30th pick in the first round in 2011 of the Anaheim Ducks, and we can add him to that list of names like Matt Bolesky and Patrick Maroon and Devontae Smith-Pelly, who have gone to play with Corey Perry and or Ryan Getzloff and done very, very well doing it. The red flag for me with Raquel is that he has just five shots on goal, in his last five games. And as you know, that's a very important number for me. I like guys to be putting shots on net, both to increase their chances of scoring and just to contribute to my fantasy lineup on the whole. And I'll say the same thing for Raquel as I do for the other Ducks that step up onto this line, is that you can ride him while he's there, but don't count on it lasting and be ready to pull the trigger and drop him if another attractive and maybe more consistent free agent option who drives their own offense becomes available. All right, so let's update our power rankings of players of note for this week. Uh, Riley Smith, Arco Bello, Anders Lee, David DeHarnay. Where does Raquel fit with those guys? Near the bottom? I think Barkov is probably at the top. I think DeHarnay, maybe unfairly. I I have some history with him that's maybe coming through in my analysis with him. Not personal, fantasy history, I swear. So he's probably at the bottom. And Raquel, yeah, is probably in the middle with all those other guys. Again, we're talking about players who've moved up to their first lines and might not be there for a very long time. So all of these guys share a common thread that says they're going to get the opportunity to produce now. I don't know that they'll get the opportunity to produce later. And I am less optimistic about Raquel's opportunities than I am, say, about Riley Smith or Anders Lee's. Interesting that you put DeHarnay at the bottom there. I'd be willing to make a bet with you of Raquel versus DeHarnay for the rest of the season. I think DeHarnay will have more points. You're right. I just didn't want to put Raquel at the bottom. I think like right now I'm thinking short term. Who do I want on my team for the next three or five games? I think I'd go Raquel. And actually, speaking of bets, Brian, there was another thing. Yesterday on our Facebook group, someone was asking about who should I drop for, for someone. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was between Bjugstad, Nugent Hopkins, and someone else. I suggested to drop Nugent Hopkins. You said to drop Bjugstad. You think that Nugent Hopkins is ahead of Bjugstad. I want to make a bet with you on that as well. I love Bjugstad this season. As I responded to you before, I'm going to have to look a little bit more into the numbers to make that guess, but I feel like... It's probably pretty close either way. If you want shots on goal, Bjorkstad's going to get you a few more of those. I still have a lot of faith in Nugent Hopkins. I feel like a lot of people have lost faith in the entire Oilers lineup, and they're going to be sorry when one day they rise up, which is exactly what we've been saying for the last, like, six years. (laughs) Well, listeners, you could write in, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Which side are you on, Team Elon or Team Brian? I think Bjugstad is the clear choice of those two for the rest of this season, and probably for his career. Bjugstad's the best. No way. I'm going to step in here not for a career. I think Nugent Hopkins, over the course of his career, is definitely not going to be a lower producer than Bjugstad. Maybe equivalent, at worst. Curious to hear the thoughts of the listeners. But let's move on to the next player of note. And speaking of Bjugstad, I guess it's our weekly Florida Panther player who's all of a sudden come out of nowhere to be super productive. I feel like we've mentioned 10 of them over the course of the season. Right now, the hot one is Brandon Peary. And these numbers are incredible. In his last seven games, he has six goals and one assist. Is this for real? I see he's only playing like 13, 15 minutes a game. Brian, what's the deal? Is Brandon Peary for real here? Who's he playing with? Is this at all sustainable? So Elon, I just spent like a minute searching for Brandon Peary's name on a player usage chart for Florida Panthers forwards who have played at least 100 even strength minutes on the season, and I just couldn't find him until my eyes fell to the far bottom, far right, in like a pale blue circle. There is the name Brandon Peary, and what far bottom, far right means is that he's playing very sheltered minutes. He's playing easy opposition and seeing a greater ratio of offensive zone starts than anybody else 
on the Panthers, so I'd say it's about time he started making the most of this. I know there are some Blackhawks fans out there who really like him, and I thought the trade to Florida was a good thing for him. He started off with 14 points in 21 games when he moved teams last year. So far this season in 26 games played, he has 9 goals and 2 assists. He has a very nice little run going now, Elon, where he's getting 3, 4, 5 shots on goal each game. But his line mates are also Dave Boland and Thomas Fleischman. And as deep as the Panthers might appear to be in terms of fantasy value this year... I wouldn't be rushing to pick up any player who is being centered by Dave Boland. He does see a little bit of time on Nick Bjorkstad's wing, but I'd like to see this continue for a little longer before I really dive in and buy in, because these seven points in his last six games, before that he just had four points in 20 games on the season. So we're going to have to wait and see to see if this is something he can sustain. My money is on maybe if he keeps getting sheltered minutes and plays more often with Nick Bjugstad. All right, maybe. That's a pretty good answer for a third-line player on, on the Panthers. I'm curious to see who we'll be talking about on Florida next week. Maybe it'll be Dave Boland. He's actually on a meager run right now, but I guess we have to save him for the future. I would want Peary over Boland, at least, at the moment. I assume you agree, Brian? Yes, there are a lot of people I would rather have over Dave Boland, which is contrary to the opinion of several NHL GMs. Next, let's go over to a player that we talked about a lot at the beginning of the season, and then I guess we wrote him off, but now he's starting to get some points. Brian, I saw you were tweeting recently about Alish Hemsky. I feel like Hemsky has gotten the same sort of edit as Semin so far this year in terms of a guy that we had big hopes for, and nothing happened, and somebody dropped them eventually in our leagues, and everybody has just let them sit in free agency. And while it still might be true for Salmon, I think it's time to start considering Hemsky for your team. In the last 31 games he's played, he is on a pace that is above 50 points over an 82-game season. He's only gone three consecutive games without a point just once since November 11th. Now, in the last two games, he has zero points, so he's in danger of doing that again very soon. However, I think he's being bothered by an injury, which is why he only played eight minutes on Saturday night. This isn't to say he's been an incredibly consistent scorer. He had a season-high three-game point streak just recently at the end of January and the first game of February, but at least he's not consistently unproductive, just somebody to think about going forward for the rest of your season. Yeah, this has definitely been an episode where we've mentioned a lot of players that are likely available in people's leagues. So at least if you have some slumping players on your team, maybe you don't need to pull the trigger right now since it seems like there's so many interesting options right now. It almost makes me feel like I don't need to rush to grab someone because there's so many people. Someone will be available. That's good if I ever decide that I actually need to drop one of my slumpers like Tyler Bozak, who I'm getting very concerned about. Let's not talk about him. But yeah, Alish Hemsky hanging in there. I hope he can do it. He seemed to have so much promise, and then it was quite the bust. It's all about the ice time for him, I think. I think if he did get sustained minutes on a top line, he would do well. But of course, maybe Dallas wouldn't do well, and that's why he's not being put there. Well, Elon, to consider that question, if a player got more minutes, would they produce more points? We can look at points per 60 minutes, and Alex Hemsky is currently sixth amongst regular forwards on the Stars. It's actually kind of a sad list. You've got Sagan and Ben at the top, of course, and then Vernon Fiddler is number three, followed by Sean Horgoff and Eric Cole. And then six and seven are Hemsky and Spezza, who we would probably expect to have been third and fourth instead of Fiddler and Horkoff. And we're just about to wrap up the show, but two more quick players. Let's just talk about a couple of defensemen that are doing amazingly well. Brian, you go first. I'm going to start off with Oliver ekman Larson, who I bought low on earlier in the season, and I'm feeling pretty good about it because over the last two months, since December 1st, he is just barely outside the top 20 in points scored by defensemen, and lately... Especially he is on a bit of a tear. He has six points in his last nine games, and five of them are goals. So I'm really happy to see Oliver ekman Larson doing well. I think a lot of people were concerned about him earlier in the year, but he's also putting up a ton of shots on goal. He has four or more shots on goal in his last six games played, including an eight-shot game, albeit against Toronto. And actually, I remember one of the biggest concerns with ekman Larson earlier in the season was his plus minus. We got so many questions about people saying that his plus minus was killing them and wondering if they should drop him. Over his last 10 games, he's actually plus one. So on Arizona and being Oliver ekman Larson getting all those points, that's definitely good enough. 
and good enough in plus minus is okay if the player is producing, which Oliver Ekman Larson is. Elon, who is your exciting defenseman player of note? I think this is a guy who's going to be in the conversation very soon, maybe next year, maybe the year after, when we talk about elite top five something defensemen. Roman Yosi, we already mentioned earlier in the season that he was doing well. He's a mainstay in Nashville, but let's just point out how well he's doing. He's got 37 points in 52 games. He's got three goals and seven assists for 10 points in his last nine games. So he's currently on a hot streak. I think it must be too late for people to grab him. I don't know if now is the best time to trade for him since he's on such a hot streak, but I just want it known that Roman Yosi is legit. Shea Weber is not going to be around forever in Nashville, and Yosi, I think, is going to be the guy for a long time, and he's amazing. He sits third in points scored by a defenseman since December 1st, that same measure I used for Ekman Larson. So if I got excited about Ekman Larson at, like, 21st, of course I should be very excited about Roman Yosi at third overall, just behind Latang and ahead of Shattenkirk. Believe it or not, and that is all situations, so even strength and power play. You know, right now, Yosi has 37 points. Shea Weber has 36 points. They sit 6th and 7th in overall season defenseman scoring. Obviously, Shattenkirk's going to fall off with his injury, so one of those guys is probably going to get into the top five. What a magical season it's been for Nashville. Oh, and we didn't mention Pecorine's back. So, ouchery alert right at the end of the show. I'm sure anyone who had Rene knows that and is very happy. And of course, if you had Carter Hutton... Time to drop him. This isn't brain surgery. This is obvious stuff. So that's why I'm throwing it in at the end. And Merrick Mazanek. You should probably drop him too if you ever took the time to add him. Right, yeah. Get on adding Cam Talbot or Vasilevsky, as we discussed before. But okay, wrapping up. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to our patrons. Of course, we would love a five-star review on iTunes from any of you who haven't done so. It's the best way that you can help out the show in terms of giving us exposure. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. Let us know that you think that Elon is correct and Bjugstad has more upside than Ryan Nugent Hopkins. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Behind the Net, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great work as always, Brian, and we'll catch you next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Son.